0: This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen.
1: What an honor it is to greet you today. Uh, obviously, I'm in a different place than normal. But I'm I bringing you greetings. I've got to do some amazing things around this world. And this is one of the coolest. What a joy it is to be the, the father to my children, the husband to my wife, and most importantly though, the son to my heavenly father. What a blessing it is. What a joy it is. To know that because of what happened here in this place, that we can celebrate Christ together and know we are one large family that God has brought together. Why don't we pray today and then I'm going to take you in on a journey into the word. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I sense you already today and I declare that something has happened here. Father, according to your presence, according to your power, now I pray that you're going to speak to everyone who hears my words. Father, I thank you that you are going to use this time, this time of ministry, and Father, you're going to speak life into all that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, today I want to bring you a message entitled, Something Happened Here. Now, where am I? Well, I am on the other side of the planet. I'm in a place that many of you may have come, and it would be my goal to bring all of you here at some point. I love seeing people come alive as they see the Bible stories come alive, as they see that this book that you've heard preached about, that you can actually go to these places. And so where we are today, and, and, and I even agreed as part of the honor of being able to be here to tell you there are, there are many possible sites, uh, some say five to six possible sites that are, uh, there that can be probable places that Christ rose from the dead. Well, we've investigated those other sites, and in my opinion, uh, that there are two, and of those two, this is the one that I truly believe most fits the scripture, that it's outside the city walls, that in that place there was a garden and I am surrounded by a beautiful garden. And then right beside that, there was a hilly uh, a mountain called Golgotha and there that place of the skull that in the same place as Golgotha, there was a tomb and something happened here at this tomb. Oh, what a joy it is to declare to you what has happened at this tomb, to declare to you that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, I want to share a scripture with you out of Romans chapter 10 that I have shared with you on many times, many, many times I've shared with you this passage. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring, now here's what I want you to see here, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, where I'm standing, this is all about faith. Now, I had to travel to the other side of, of the, uh, the globe for this message. You see, and to do that, I had to place my faith somewhere. And you know, I've placed my faith in what happened here. To believe the resurrection, to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, truly is an act of faith. Now, being an act of faith, it's really more than just a a definition of faith. It's really way beyond that. It's really about more the object of our faith. I want you to get that. It's really about the object of our faith. You see, I place my faith in a few different things to get over here. I placed my faith in a, a carrier that put me and my luggage on it and flew me here. I trust that they would get us both here at the same time and both here safely. I placed my faith in a pilot who I didn't know that he would stay focused. and I, I placed my faith in a, a grounds crew that they had done their job and, and that that plane was where it was supposed to be. I placed my faith in so many different places to get here but you know I had very specific objects of my faith. It wasn't blind faith. I mean not really. You see I evaluated and came to a conclusion. This is the airline I would use, this is the path I would take and and today that's what we're going to be talking about. Evaluating the evidence in order to achieve a solid conclusion. Now we're talking here from the tomb in uh, at Calvary as we're talking to you from the tomb here i want you to understand that god's spirit is going to speak to you because i'm not asking you to step into something blindly i'm not asking you to confess that jesus has been raised from the dead blindly it's early in the morning here it's very early in the morning and it was about this time of morning that what we celebrate had occurred that some women came to minister to the body of Jesus, and they found some evidence that cannot be refuted. The birds are singing. The beauty of the sunrise that's occurring here, as on this morning, we celebrate what has been accomplished. You see, today, we are going to evaluate the evidence. Now, I want to give you a couple of statements about that. First, my faith is my commitment to where the evidence leads, Let me give you that again. My faith is my commitment to where the evidence leads. You see, faith almost always goes with the evidence. Let me say that again. Faith almost always goes with the evidence, not contrary to it. No matter what people would tell you, faith is placed in something that we have a confidence in the evidence of, and faith must always have an object of one's faith. Let me say that. I want you to get this clear because that's what faith is really all about. Faith must have an object of faith. You see, our object of faith is Jesus Christ. What did that scripture say? That I have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I have to believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. So there has to be an object of my faith and the object of my faith, the object of my hope, the object of all that drives me in this life is Jesus Christ. Let me just give you an example of this. Somebody in the world might say they're a person of faith. For example, someone that's uh, of the Islamic faith might say, well, I'm a person of faith and, and I have a lot of faith. I want you to understand what I'm about to tell you. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is where you put your faith, the object of your faith. A Buddhist might say the same thing or, or, or different uh, faith from all over the world might say, well, we're people of faith. But again, it does not matter how much faith you have. The issue is who do you have your faith in? You see, one Islamic person said it this way. They said, it is sad for you Christians. They said, we have somewhere to go and worship at the prophet's tomb. And uh, the, the Buddhist had somewhere to go to worship there at Buddha's uh, uh, tomb. But we, in their opinion, had nowhere to go. But you see, we don't have to come to a tomb because our faith is in the one who defeated the tomb. Let me just say that again. Our faith is in the one who defeated the tomb, and our faith is in the one who can help you overcome every struggle and every bondage and everything that seeks to bind you. You see, the value of faith is not in the one believing. See, sometimes we we say, well, my faith is, is weak, but the value of the faith is not in the one believing, but in the one who is believed. I want you to get that. The value of faith is not in the one believing, but in the one who is believed. Here's another statement I think is key when we try to understand faith. The key to faith is not in the one trusting, but it is in the one who is trusted. Now, I'm telling you, there's hope in Christ. You can believe the words of Christ. You can trust the words of Christ because he will never let you down and he will never fail you. Because when you have faith of believing in him and trusting in him, the effect of faith is not in the faithfulness of the one exercising the faith, but the faithfulness of the one in whom the faith has been exercised. I want you to get that. You see, my faithfulness does not determine his faithfulness. My faithfulness does not determine what he's able to do, but my faith in him is is where I place that because he deserves all glory and he has never failed us and we can trust in him. You see, my faith must be in Christ and the Christ that I declare to you, God raised from the dead. He brought out of the tomb and my faith is in Christ. You see, I was saved by the grace of God. I was saved by believing that Jesus died not very far from here, just across the garden from here on a cross for my sins. My faith must be in his burial and in his resurrection because by faith I receive what Jesus has done for me. By faith, I bring that into my life. And the more that I fall in love with Christ, the more knowledge of him that I gain. And the more knowledge of him that I gain, I realize that I can believe in him and I can trust in him. You see, too many times we try to impose ourselves upon the image of God. I think it was at A.W. Tozer who said that, that we will try to recreate God in our own image. We will try to create God in the image that we see ourselves in. And if we're struggling believing in ourselves and trusting ourselves, we'll struggle believing in God. But I can tell you, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have been unworthy and I have been untrustworthy at times, but Jesus has never failed. Come on now. Somebody needs to say that with me. Jesus has never failed. What a, what a blessing to be able to preach to you that what I feel today is a word of encouragement that he is not here. He is risen. He is Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit has raised him from the dead. You see, we must believe that Christ was raised from the dead. It's that simple. Because if I believe that he's raised from the dead, everything hinges upon the fact that he is alive. But I can hear you even now. Some might say, what happens if you have to make a defense for the resurrection? I mean, somebody comes along and says to you that, you know what, the resurrection never took place. And that that's just a fairy tale or a fable. Well, the Apostle Paul said it this way. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ were not raised from the dead, this is 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ were not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. You see, if Christ had not come out of this tomb, then we would have no reason to serve him. We would have no reason to worship him. But because he came out of this tomb, because he walked out in power, we have an object of our faith that will never fail us. I don't know who you are, but you need to get that today. You see, that's what maybe he sent me here to tell you, that though many have harmed you, though many have failed you, many have abandoned you, there is one who would not let Death, hell, and the grave hold him back. He rose in victory so that you could believe in him and you can trust in him. Oh, what a joy to be able to preach this to you. You see, we must have faith that is not based on being blind faith, but it's based on evidence. I I, I just want you to understand that that we must have faith that is based on evidence that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. You see that to have faith based on evidence is called the evidential method. Okay. The evidential method. The evidential method is based upon showing that something is true beyond an unreasonable doubt. Okay. This is like what you would see in a court case. Uh, it's where the verdict comes from. Can you, can you convict this person beyond a reasonable doubt? It is a conclusion that is based on the sufficiency of evidence. Now there are usually 3 types of evidence when you're trying to make a conclusion on the evidential method. The first of these is written testimony or testimony, or oral testimony or physical testimony, okay? So do I have written evidence of what happened? Do I have a someone who can testify to what happens and has there been evidence left of what's happened? So I'm asking you to join me on this journey of faith in the one that you can trust in, the one you can believe in. And I'm asking you to go with me to a deeper level with Christ based on the evidence, based on the evidence. Now, thinking about this evidential method, let me just say this. Did Shakespeare write Hamlet? I mean, what's the evidence of that? Did Patrick Henry say, give me liberty or or give me death? Or did he just say... Well, you know what? I'm out for a ride. I mean, think about it. Was John F. Kennedy really assassinated in Dallas by a man standing in the window of a book depository? You see, the way we make these determinations about these things, it all comes from an event within history that we have provided the evidential method to. Now, because of the evidence that was found, collected, the written, the oral testimonies, the people who encountered things in different ways, we have drawn our conclusions about each of those questions that I gave you. So let me give you what would be base for an evidential belief in the resurrection of Christ. And this comes from Matthew chapter 27, verse number 57. This is how it reads. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled, notice this, a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the graves. Very important to notice this. They knew exactly which grave Jesus was placed in. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, listen to this, and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that the deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and they made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Wow. What a story describing what happened right here. You see, there was... This belief that was in place, there was a trust that was in place that in each one of these evidential points that we're going to find from this passage that are so key that we know that what happened here was amazing because something happened here. You see, Jesus Christ had three credentials, the impact of his life upon history through changed lives, the fulfillment of prophecy in his life and the resurrection Let me say that again. The impact of his life upon history is an evidence to who he is. The prophecy that was fulfilled in his life is an evidence to who he is. And the resurrection is the greatest evidence of all of who he is. Over and over again, I I think you have to get this. Over and over again, Jesus declared that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. It wasn't just momentarily that he said it, but over and over again, he tried to describe to them, look, guys, I'm going to raise from the dead. He said, well, when did that happen in scripture? Well, he said, for example, at one moment, he said, destroy this temple. And three days later, I will raise it again. And then they they said this, that he spoke of his body. There's another time he was going up to Jerusalem and, and his followers came to him and said, don't go there. They'll kill you. And he said, guys, you don't understand. I mean, guys, you don't you don't get it. I got to go. I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to go through Jerusalem. I, I, I love the way that comes forth. i got to go through Jerusalem because there's a prize waiting for me on a hill called Golgotha at a nearby tomb because I'm going to seal something on Golgotha. And then I'm going to break something when I come out of a tomb. I feel the Holy Spirit in that. Don't you feel what God has done? God wants to seal something in your life that the devil can't take away from you. And God wants to break something off of your life that you can't get rid of on your own. Something may have held you down. Something may have held you back. But Jesus was saying all along, I've got to go through Jerusalem. I've got to go past the cross because the Bible tells us he kept his eye on what was on the other side. What was on the other side? On the other side was resurrection power that not only for himself, that he might become the firstborn among many who walk in that power. Oh, what a joy of the Holy Spirit. What a joy of the presence of God that whatever has held you back, it can be uh, delivered off of you and set you free. Just like Jesus came out of this grave, you need to get ready and you'll be declaring something happened here as well. Something changed my life. There was a moment where I went from who I was to who God had called me to be. There was a moment that I went from being bound or addicted or in struggles or in pain. There was a moment we went from our family falling apart But because of what Jesus did, oh hallelujah, praise God. I know I'm getting a little excited today, but I just feel this in my heart that God wants you to know that Jesus came and he bore witness of his own power. He told us what he was going to do. I mean, he said it, guys, I'm going to go through Jerusalem. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'll be raised to new life. Now, here's what blows my mind. His disciples didn't get it. His disciples didn't understand it. But even his enemies heard what he had to say. I mean, think about it. What did the scripture I read to you say? The scripture that I read to you said that they came to Pilate, the Jewish leaders came to Pilate and said, look, when the deceiver was still alive, he said, In three days that the grave would be empty. I mean, listen to that. They had heard it over and over again. People were talking about it. There was something going on all over Jerusalem. And people were talking about the fact that he said on the third day, I'll rise again. Man, that's powerful. I'll tell you what just jumped in my heart. They were waiting for the resurrection power. I fear that some of us have lost our hope waiting for the resurrection power. You've succumbed to that struggle. You've succumbed to that temptation. You've succumbed to that problem. But listen to me. God wants you to start waiting for the resurrection power for this same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now works inside of you also so that you might come alive in the power and the victory of Christ praise God. Oh, God is good. So they come, the enemy comes and, and, and they said, look, we've got to make this secure. We've got to, we got to do something. So to make sure that, that he, he doesn't, uh, uh, deceive the people. And so they said, you know, the place that, uh, uh, that he has spoken, uh, of that he would raise from the dead, you know, where he's been laid and listen to me very carefully. We know that Jesus placed a great emphasis on the resurrection. Everything that Christ taught, lived, and died for depended on one thing. Are you ready for this? It all came to one spot, an empty tomb. An empty tomb and his appearances following. The resurrection of Jesus Christ in Christianity stands and falls together. If this tomb were not empty then Christianity would not be here today. It all hinges upon what happened here. And I am proud to tell you something happened here. I am proud to tell you that God has done something amazing. You see, if you could do away with the resurrection, then we'd have to find some different way to worship. You know, there were two men at Oxford, Lord Littleton And Benjamin Gilbert West they were fed up with the Christian faith they wanted to give the fatal blow to destroy it these men knew they had to refute two things in order to destroy Christianity the first thing they had to refute was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul the second thing that they had to be able to refute was the resurrection Well, Lord Littleton chose the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and Benjamin Gilbert West chose the resurrection. They each took a leave of absence from Oxford. They went their own individual ways to do research and study. And when they returned, they were going to write a book together to refute the myth of the resurrection of Christ. And look what happened when they returned. When Lord Littleton... And West came back together. They were both a little sheepish. They didn't really want to share their findings with each other at first because each one independently had come to the exact opposite conclusion of what they had set out to prove. And in the process, both of these men had become sold out, blood bought children of the living God who believed in the resurrection Of Christ. They went on to write a book together called Observations of the History and the Evidence of the Resurrection. You know, this is what a quote that was said reject not until you have examined the evidence, reject not until you can look and see that something happened here. So what did these men find? What what did they find that spoke so, so powerfully to change their minds, to change uh, their considerations? Here's what they found. They found that the tomb, if you'll notice, the tomb was made of solid rock. And as I'm yet even speaking to you, I can hear the echo bouncing off of the rock. They found that Christ's body had been prepared for burial. Okay. And it witnesses were given, oral testimony could be given, that his body had been prepared for burial. Here's what maybe some don't understand. In order to prepare his body to go in a solid rock tomb for burial, I want you to get this, they put over 100 pounds of spices on his body. Why would they do that? They would put those spices on the body so that the body would deteriorate faster so they could then come, gather the bones together, and put them in an ossuary, and then take them either to another tomb area or they would be even kept in the home as one might keep an urn today in their home. And then here's another thing that these men realized, an extremely large stone was put across the entrance. we can actually see uh, over here behind me, there's a, a trough, but it probably would have not quite been like a trough like that at that era. You see, some of the oldest manuscripts that are found have Mark 16 uh, quoting this, okay? Uh, some of the oldest say this, that it was a stone, a stone that cannot be moved by 20 men. It is estimated that the stone that was placed across the door was one and a half to two tons. Now, we're not talking about just a little bit. We're talking about one and a half to two tons of stone put across this. Then it was sealed with a seal that was not to be broken on penalty of death. A Roman guard was to come and stand around the the tomb, stand around the stone to make sure on on the fourth day, everything was still intact. That Roman guard, according to history, according to written evidence, remember evidential, we have written testimony, oral testimony and physical testimony that guard had between four to 16 different soldiers in it who would have stood their ground knowing upon penalty of death had that seal been broken not only to who broke it but to them as the guards you see everything was in place the death blow had been dealt they had even quoted his own words to him Oh, but then suddenly, something happened here. I mean, it's rather obvious that something happened 2,000 years ago. Why? Because the world hasn't gotten over it yet. Something happened here. Every textbook at every university, they all talk about the declaration in the year of our Lord because something happened Here, something happened here that would take 12 Jewish men. It would turn their life upside down. They would go forward turning the world upside down, Scripture tells us. And they would all but one die a martyr's death. And I think it's one of the strongest points of the evidential realities, the evidential facts and methods of the truth of the resurrection is not one of the 12 recanted. Not one of them. They were, they were torn apart by horses. They were impaled. That one was beaten to death with a fuller's club. I want you to understand that these men died horrible, brutal deaths, crucified upside down, and never did one of them refute their testimony. They never backed down. They never cowered it out. Why? Because something happened here. Something changed here. What happened here. This is what the Bible says took place. The Bible puts us evidence in history. The Bible says that here in this area, in this city, there was a great earthquake and the angel of the Lord came and the guardians fell as if dead. And let me tell you, for the guardians to fall over like that, there must have been an amazing earthquake. I mean, it must have shook. And then it said, the angel rolled the stone away. Now, here's a truth I want you to get today. And I want you to let this settle in your heart. The angel didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could come out. I want you to get that. The angel didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could come out. He rolled the stone away so we could go in and see That the tomb was empty. I feel the Holy Ghost in saying that to you. Jesus had just defeated death, hell, and the grave. He didn't need a stone moved so he could come out. But we needed to go in and see so that we might declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead. Oh, what a joy to bring you this message today. You see, something happened Something happened here because every time, listen to me, every time somebody approached the tomb, an amazing statement was made in the Greek and Aramaic that's often lost in the English uh, rendering. It says the stone, listen to me carefully, was rolled up slope away, uh, away from not just the entrance, but the Aramaic and the Greek tell us that it was moved positionally away from the massive uh, rock tomb. One verb describes it as being picked up and carried away. One says it was carried up the hill some ways. Now think about that for just a moment. If we have some guardians who have fallen, Somebody said, well, they fell asleep, and they came, and they 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 moved it. What would happen if somebody picked up a a one-and-a-half to two-ton stone and flung it? Think about that for a moment. Whew, praise God. I feel the Holy Spirit in that. What would have happened? It would have made a sonic almost sound, a loud boom that would have occurred as it crashed against the other rocks, and it would have startled the guards, and then they would have been able to overcome those who were there. But that's not what happened. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit just put into my heart? Just like a stone covered a tomb and tried to hold our Jesus in, whatever's been holding you back, whatever's been trying to hold you down and hold you in to the bondage and struggles, that the Lord wants to pick that up and throw it off of you as well. He wants to deliver you by the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. I feel the Holy Spirit in what I'm, I'm speaking to you today. I mean, that kind of stone, it would have set off the Richter scale almost, but, uh, something happened here. Something amazing was happening. You see, something happened here because the greatest evidence of all was that the tomb, listen to me carefully, the tomb wasn't empty. You see, the Bible says that, that Mary came to them and, and then Peter and John came to see for themselves. And when Peter came, that he stooped down and John ran into the tomb and John got there first, but, but he didn't go in. And he says he leaned over and he looked in. Okay. He leaned over and he looked in. And as he leaned over and he looked in, I want you to, I want you to, I want to read this to you because I want you to get this. What he saw there were the grave clothes. The grave clothes were where the body had been placed, the spices that were fresh still. All of that was still there. It wasn't, uh, uh, all of that hadn't been carried off. It was all still there. All those spices, all those grave clothes, it was all there. The headpiece even folded neatly. It was all still there. There was no body, but the wrappings were where the body was. They were empty, caved in a little. You see, the body of Christ had passed right through into a new existence. See, the Bible says we will be changed as he was changed. Why is it that we have no record in history? Listen to me carefully. We have no record in history of any of the disciples after that day returning to this spot. There's no record in history of people for generations to come in those first few generations coming back to this spot. You see, know that, I'll tell you, do you know who comes back to this spot? Tourists. The disciples didn't keep coming here. They didn't come back to a grave. You see, you go back to a grave when the grave holds its occupant. But they no longer needed to come here. One of the greatest evidences of all, they no longer needed to come here because who wants to go back and worship at an empty tomb? Think about that. There was no reason to go back and worship at an empty tomb. Wow. What's God been trying to speak to us today? You say, well, pastor, I feel your excitement. Let me ask you this. What if one of the theories of old were actually true i mean one of the theories was that they had come to the wrong tomb that they when the women came they they came to the wrong tomb well if the women had come to the wrong tomb then peter and john came to the wrong tomb the jews sealed the wrong tomb the soldiers went to the wrong tomb the angel went to the wrong tomb. Joseph, who owned the tomb, went to the wrong tomb. It's not the wrong tomb. Jesus Christ is alive. In fact, I want you to hear the greatest evidence of all. The greatest evidence of all is that something happened here. You see, something happened here. Something happened in this place that changed everything. But what happened most happened here. I am a man who is not perfect. But because I have placed my faith not in myself, I mean, if if it were how much faith I had, the Scripture wouldn't have said the faith the the size of a grain of a mustard seed. It would have said had faith the size of a watermelon. I mean, think about that for a moment. It doesn't matter how much faith I have. What matters is where I have put my faith. What matters is that because of Jesus, because I have declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. And see, sometimes because we say that so often, people lose the power of that. People lose the momentum of what I'm trying to say to you. People lose that truth, that simple truth that I am not declaring that my faith is in myself. My faith is not even in a book But my faith is in Jesus Christ. I have cast my lot with him. I have made my decision. I have settled my course. I want to be where Jesus is. I want my eternity to be where Jesus is. How do I have hope and confidence in this? I have hope and confidence that not only did he come a perfect savior, not only did he die a perfect sacrifice, but on the third day he rose from the dead a perfect risen king of glory. And because of my hope is in him, something happened here. I'm not who I should be. I may not be where I'm going to be yet. But because something happened here, something happened here. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Have you been living in such a way that you're living because something happened here? That caused something to happen here? Think about what we were talking about today. The evidence of the hope of Christ. The joy of knowing that he is alive. Yet I fear that some that are listening to me now. You don't have that evidence and you don't have that hope. You don't have that joy. You're still struggling. You're still battling. You're still going through a dark time. It seems like a giant stone has still... Than rolled across your life. Why is it there? Because you're trying to fix your own world. You're trying to solve your own problems. I feel the Holy Spirit. You still feel like you're your own answer. Can I tell you today, that if you will place your faith in the object of the greatest truth and greatest hope of all, the resurrected Savior, That whatever has had held you in, whatever's held you back, I I don't care how many, many times you've been bound and wrapped up. I don't care how many things have sealed your fate. I don't care how many demons guard your way. There is one who will send the power of an earthquake to begin to shake everything in your life. There is one who will cause every guard to fall. There is one who will break every sealed and doomed future. And there is one who will loose you. And there's one who will take whatever it is and cast it away from you. So that you too might be able to stand and declare. Because Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Something happened here. Let me speak to those of you who are saved for just a moment. Are you living in the hope and the trust of Christ. Are you living as if something has happened inside of you? The Bible says we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. What is our testimony? Something happened here. Step up. Stop looking for vain places to satisfy what you can't find in yourself and return to your first works. Fall on your knees. Worship him. Realize the evidence all adds up. Not only is he alive, but living for him is the best thing. Now I want to remind you of something I said earlier. I'm talking to everybody now. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away So that we could go in. And he wants you to come in as well. Jesus wants you to come in. And see that he's alive. I actually said it this way. If you will open up to him. He will come to you. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Now's your time. This is your moment. I want everybody to bow your heads. And I want you to listen to what I've come to tell you. Nothing can hold you back if you will settle who your hope is in, if your hope's been in man, if your hope's been in yourself, if if you feel like you haven't been able to trust anybody in this life, I invite you today to come in. Come into the family of God. Come into the flow of God's grace. Come into the victory that is ours through Christ. Come in. Come in by power. Come in now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Right now, if you're here today and you would say. I want to enter in to a new life with Christ. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And I want to be a living testimony that something has happened here. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. I want you to raise your hand, hold it up high. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't let the stone hold you down. But be delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are responding, I'm excited about what God's going to do in your life. It has been an honor today to bring you this message. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you that you made a way, not for Christ to come out, but that so we might come in. That we might come in in victory, and we might come in in power. And, Lord, those that are surrendering their lives to you now, in Jesus' name, Father, I thank you that you're receiving them by grace. I thank you that now, by faith, in Jesus' name, they will be born again. God
0: bless you.